this cake is already baked. And I say that because we're now at $33, 34000000000000 trillion in debt. That's only going to go up. And it's you're, I do believe uh, we're going to see some type of event that's going to actually force the Fed's hand into lowering rates. Well, hello there, my friends, and good afternoon, and welcome on into Arcadia. We're quite excited to be joined by a longtime guest and a longtime friend of the show, Bill Holter, who is the author and writer at BillHolter.com, also quite involved with Gold and Silver with Miles Franklin and long history in the financial market. So he's seen gold and silver markets for a long time, seen the buildup of the things that have led us into this position. And obviously, as we're now into 2024, with a couple of key events on the horizon, specifically around the March timeframe and Perhaps we'll get Bill's opinion on thoughts on a fun election cycle also coming up this year, which should be filled with lots of pleasant feelings by both candidates on each party involved. So excited to have you back here today, Bill. Uh, nice to see you again. And how's everything going with you? Good. Thanks for having me back, Chris. Well, I guess to start, uh, as we finished up 2023, we're now into 2024. Bit of a slow start to the metals in the first couple of weeks of the year. I, I hope this comes out in the right light. I wonder how much a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week trading of gold and silver is the most important thing to be focused on in the sense that whatever happened the first three weeks of this year, especially depending on what happens with the BTFP program from the Fed, interest rate cuts, I, I have a feeling will be like a tsunami compared to a little ripple in the stream but what are you seeing as we start off 2024 here well first uh i i do want to and i've, I've mentioned this before the economy itself is it's a two-sided economy you have the private economy and you have the 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 federal side the government economy the private economy Pretty much no matter where you look, you are seeing weakness, but you're seeing like GDP numbers, uh, you're seeing overall numbers still showing growth. And that's a function of a trillion, trillion five, two trillion dollar deficits each year. I mean, if you look at look at unemployment, uh, government is has been hiring like mad and you're not seeing that in the private sector. So you are seeing a bifurcated economy where the expansion on the on the government side is masking the weakness on the private side well that certainly is the case and i imagine you're not expecting any slowdown in the spending this year as i mentioned we have the election coming up and perhaps in territory to set even some new records uh going forward in these next couple of months New records as far as the equity markets are concerned? In, in terms of the spending and deficits and... Oh, yeah. There's no question. The The deficit is... I mean, this cake is already baked. And I say that because we're now at $33, $34 trillion in debt. That's only going to go up. And it's... You're, I do believe uh, we're going to see some type of event that's going to 
actually force the Fed's hand into lowering rates. But if you take if you take a, a view of a year from now or two years from now, I don't think inflation or not inflation, but I don't think interest rates are going to be a lot lower than they are right now. They may be on the short end, but not out five years, 10 years, 30 years. I think there will be. Uh, I think the yield curve is going to. Is going to extremely uh, steepen. Especially if the Fed is, you know, knocks rates down to two percent or one and a half or one percent. What's not been taken account of, well, for many, many years, even before the 2008-2009 uh, train wreck, what's not been taken into account and what's not been thought about is the risk premium on U.S. paper. Uh, U.S. paper has always been considered risk-free, and I think we're we're going into the zone now where their foreigners are are looking at uh and especially foreign central banks i think are looking at uh u.s treasuries and saying hey wait a minute there actually is some risk um and i guess the, the very first inkling of that was back in what 2011 when either uh and or moody's downgraded u.s debt but that's been that's been a thought process since world war ii is that the uh, U.S. Treasuries are the only risk-free paper assets on the planet, and they're not risk-free. And I do think that in this uh, in this zone or or you know time period, at some point in time, there's going to be a mass flow into gold because gold cannot bankrupt, it cannot, and silver also. They cannot bankrupt. They cannot default. Whereas it's it's the math is plain to see that the U.S. mathematically is going to default either by non-payment or having to blow the money supply up another you know twofold, fivefold, tenfold. They're going to destroy the currency itself. So I I I do think that there's going to be a uh, a rethought or Investors are going to rethink what is risk-free. And once that comes forward, you're going to see a massive flow of capital into gold and silver. Yeah, and I suppose you could say that we've already seen a bit of that rethinking. Obviously, there's now two heavy years of central bank buying. I mean, you know, when it first started, it was a couple months, then a year goes by, then the second year, we're not we're not talking about a blip on the screen. It's not happening for completely right. mysterious causes. Uh, obviously, we saw what happened two years ago when Russia went into Ukraine and money was frozen. And before we wrap up, we'll touch on some of the latest plans around those cash. But I mean, that's right around the time where we saw the central bank gold buying. I, th I think we've also seen a lot more... I don't know if you call the mainstream, but people who aren't in the gold and silver crowd, which I understand is a very focused subset, but I mean, a lot of other investors and fund managers now talking about, is this treasury, like you said, really the risk-free asset? And then you mix that together with the, the large issuance that's coming at the same time, 
many central banks pulling out of the away from the treasury market, allocating into gold. I know it's something we've talked about for years, but do you start? To, uh, it, it sounds like you can start to see some of these pieces coming together where now the idea of a failed treasury auction is not just something that the gold and silver bugs are saying, but you can really see some of these forces coming to a head just look at this past year we're at we're at the point now where they're paying a trillion dollars per year in debt service and that number over time is only going to increase when it goes to a trillion five two trillion i mean at this point the u.s only took in uh and it was a record take but it was uh four point four point seven trillion in uh in tax dollars but one trillion of that goes out the door in debt service. So they're already over 20% of uh, tax revenues are going just to pay debt service. That number is only going to get bigger and bigger. And that's the math right there that I think the average uh, you know, Wall Street guy can look at and go, hey, wait a minute, this math doesn't work. Yeah, I think it's becoming easier to see. And curious your expectations of what you think is going to happen in March, where, again, we have the expiration of the bank term funding program that was set up to stem a run in banks just uh, almost a year ago now. Um, and at the same time, we've heard debate over whether we're going to have the first interest rate cut in March. Perhaps what's more significant is even the Fed and their own governors were saying, well, it might not be March, that they were planning three interest rate cuts this year. So again, not just you or me saying it, but the Fed's own yeah. words. What, what do you think we see in March this year? Well, first off, I think it's pretty clear going all the way back to 2008, 2009, the financial system and thus the real economy has been on life support ever since. So will the Fed really uh, cut the life support to the banks in March. Uh, my thought would be, okay, so cut the life support and then we're right back to where we were a year ago when the banks were having problems. Do they cancel the, that program? That's what they're saying they're gonna do is wind it down, but I don't really think they can. It'll have to be replaced by something else. What it'll be called or you know what it'll look like, I have no idea. But you 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 literally have the banking system on life support. I mean, look at the look at the run out of the banks. Look at the the deposit base that the banks have today versus where they were a year ago. I don't see any way they can actually stop that. Yeah. In in reality, I mean, they can they can say they stop it, but they're going to replace it with something else, some other type of support. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that you're going to run into problems like that again, and the Fed is just going to stand aside. Um, certainly when we saw oh, that... Oh, Chris, one, one other thing. Yeah. You, you just mentioned the Fed. The Fed itself is insolvent. They lost $113 billion last year, and the last number that I saw two or three years ago, the Fed had only $65 billion in equity. So if they only added $65 billion in equity and lost $113 billion, You've got the central bank that issues the world's reserve currency technically insolvent, as is the ECB, as is the BOJ, as is the Bank of England. Interest rates around the world have gone up. 
and the bond holdings of these central banks have declined drastically. And those are huge losses against very small equity. So you're probably looking at a system right now where all the central banks in the world are technically insolvent. That's a good point, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Could you put into perspective for people? I, I think they, a lot of people have seen that some of these central banks are taking on losses. Number keeps getting bigger. Similarly, we see the even at the commercial banks, big unrealized losses. Although specific to the central right. banks, what what is the mechanism or what is the 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 checkpoint where at some point you need to have the money and that becomes a problem that has to be resolved. Yeah. There, there's not a checkpoint with central banks. And the reason being they can print, they can print, they can print more, more money. So they never have a problem of, uh, you know, this month's paycheck didn't cover my bills. They don't have that problem because they can print. Now banks themselves do have that problem. Uh, and obviously uh, entities in the real economy have that problem. If their income doesn't match their outflow or match, uh, I mean, just look at a piece of real estate. So you buy a half a million dollar piece of real estate, you put a hundred, you put a hundred thousand dollars down, you borrow four hundred thousand. You wake up one day and your your property is only worth two hundred fifty thousand. You've got you have negative net worth, and oh, if you happen you or your wife or whatever happen to lose your job, now you have a problem servicing it. You can't print money to service your debt. So what do you have to do? You're gonna have to you're gonna have to sell, and you end up you walk away with nothing. And that's that's the reality of where the central banks are right now. If they liquidated their portfolios, they would have a negative net worth. Now they're not going to be forced to liquidate their portfolios because they can print the funds. You know they can print cash. They can print liquidity. So. That's the difference between a central bank and corporations and or you and I. Just sounds fantastical when, when people say it out loud, the way the era. But it's, that's the way it is. That is the way the system is. I mean, I couldn't, I, I, I could never, you know, dream up a system like that. People smarter than me, way smarter than me, dreamed this up in 1913. Well, I don't or, know. Or, well, before 1913. Well, I don't know necessarily that they were smarter. I mean, I guess when you have the ability to implement some. How about more evil? Yeah. There How about go. more evil? Yeah. yeah okay. That, that sounds better. So, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, as all of this is going on, we have on the eastern half of the globe in Shanghai in particular, we've seen for the past uh, four or five months, I think it was September when the spread in the gold market really picked up quite a bit, has come back in. Obviously, China somewhat influences that with what they let in or out. Although, last check, it seems like the silver spread is still pretty elevated. Curious if you had any thoughts and insight into what's been going on with those spreads. And is that something we'll continue to see arbitraged and metal flowing? I mean, we've heard metal flowing west to east for decade or two but seems like the potential to accelerate yeah uh obviously a higher price in in china in the east is going to lead to arbitrage arbitrage is going to lead to bleeding uh 
bleeding inventories of, of real metal. Um, if I had to guess, it is the East, it's the BRICS, China, uh, uh, Russia, etc., turning the screws on the West. In other words, draining inventory. I mean, it's pretty clear, Chris, and, and I mean, the average person doesn't think of it this way, but it's pretty clear that in, in a nanosecond, China or Russia could destroy the Western financial system by just putting in a bunch of buy orders onto COMEX and say, we want the metal. They could blow that market up with change that falls out of their pocket. So, and, and I don't think they want to do that because that would lead directly to war. I mean, those are, those are obviously fighting words. But I do think that allowing the price to rise in, uh, in China, in Shanghai, creating that arbitrage, creating the drain of Western gold, I think that is turning up the screws and, you know, somewhat of a warning to the West, hey, you know, you, you can't get away. You, you can't get away from the fractional reserve system that you set up. And, you know, they obviously know that it's fractional reserve. Yeah, in particular with Russia, I remember uh, Bill Murphy and Chris Powell have talked about, I think it was back in 2004, where some Russian officials were watching. Putin holding a bar of gold. The picture of Putin in 2003 or 2004 holding up a, a, a bar of gold. I mean, that right there, he's he's super smart. They know. And what what is the latest? And I mean, it just just go ahead. I was just going to say, what is the latest that you've heard in terms of developments in Russia? Obviously, you and I talked quite a bit when the oil invasion began. The temporary peg to a gold backing for a short period of time back then. You know, and you'll have every uh, month or two an article come out about what Sergey Glazyev is doing. We had speculation right. that there might be a move at the BRICS meeting last August, which did not come to fruition yet. Also, get the feeling that it's not like they've decided, oh, we'll change your mind, we'll just stick with the dollar. I get the feeling no, that they're going to do it. What is the latest? Yeah, they're going to do. They're going to do this. They're going to back uh, currencies, and they're you know they've already talked about backing the brick, the BRICS currency with gold, silver, commodities, hard assets. All you have to do is read Putin's speeches. I think he's done six or seven since the since the uh, Ukraine invasion. Read his speeches. All he's saying is that they want and they expect free and fair settlement of trade. They're tired of the something for nothing trade. They don't want to give oil or gas or timber or whatever away and get paid in return with monopoly money that they know mathematically is going to go to zero. And the fact that, that these central banks know that mathematically the dollar is doomed that's why they're buying gold that's why in the last couple of years central banks have stepped up their gold purchases because they know they're going to let be left with nothing 
in place of their dollar reserves. And we, you know, we can also talk about the 300 billion that was sequestered, the Federal Reserve or the, the US sequestered $300 billion of Russian funds. And, and you ask, you know, how could they do that? Well, those were US treasuries. So basically they, they pulled them, they took them away. And then two or three weeks ago, they came out and they said, oh, and by the way, we're thinking we're going to use that $300 billion to rebuild Ukraine. I mean, that's like, first off, it's a huge slap in the face to Russia. But worse, it's proof to the world that you cannot trust the United States. I mean, those are those are bonds. That's sovereign debt. You can't just negate sovereign debt. Uh, you know, if it... If it was some small country uh, that had no military, maybe you could do it, but, it, you know, it's still theft. It's still a lack of trust. But countries around the world have got to be looking at at what we did with that $300 billion and what we're saying we're going to do with the $300 billion and say, hey, wait a minute. If the U.S. can do that to Russia, they can certainly do it to us. And that's going to speed up the move away from the dollar. It's going to break trust. And the whole the whole system is based on confidence. It is a con game. Yeah, it certainly seems like a disturbing event to keep an eye on. Seems like they're really considering it. Uh, it was interesting in the initial Bloomberg article. Well, that- Chris, they're not just considering it. They've already sequestered the $300 billion. They've already taken it so that Russia has no use of their own funds that they freely invested in U.S. sovereign debt. I mean, this when I first saw that come out, I was like, oh, my God, this is it's like so, so bad for the U.S. on the world stage. It's it's uh, it's the worst financial event I, I could imagine the U.S. actually execute. I mean, in a world that's already pretty divided and militaristic, unfortunately, it just seems like throwing gasoline and a few thousand grenades on the right. fire and wondering how that's going to play out. So I guess we'll see how that goes. It's and- arrogant. It's arrogant and it's ignorant. Both. And it was also interesting in the Bloomberg article about that, they had one line where they said that the White House was also thinking about the possibility if they did this, whether it would spark a run on the dollar. Again, it was not clear whether how much of that was the Bloomberg author's thoughts, although the the article was at least insinuating that in the White House, they're having conversations about a threat of de-dollarization, which is a bit different than what Janet Yellen says publicly. But I thought that was interesting if they're not shouldn't be laughing. This isn't funny at all. I mean, it's almost disturbing. But to think that that conversation would actually be going on there would certainly be one of many telling signs. And. Bill, perhaps in the midst of that, I think you knew I was going to ask about silver, which we haven't dug into quite as much today. Maybe out of respect, I hear you are the new Mr. Gold, as I learned on Dave Janda's show the other night. So 
Mr. Gold, if you could give us a comment on silver. I was thinking back to the silver squeeze, which in hindsight, I guess, uh, was a lot of that more retail driven. And you had a shortage of retail products when the dealers got blown out that weekend. On one hand, you could say yes. But what was interesting is in that LBMA report that came out a month or two later, that key quote they had in there that had this continued at this pace, they were weeks away from running out of metal. It was over. Right. It, it would have been over. Uh, just one more from thing. From a retail to... standpoint, go ahead. Just one other thing to add is that following that, Rick Rule, who was still part of Sprott and was associated with the Sprott SLV Trust, I've seen him talk in interviews about how he said, you know, we went to Chicago, cleared out what was there, cleared out what was in Nova Scotia, and there was a point at which there wasn't silver available. Tack on to that, that according to the Silver Institute, we run two big deficits in these last two years. Uh, it's an impossible question to know for sure, but at least puts in perspective that you wonder how much is left in the piggy bank. We saw the LBMA and COMEX. It's interesting. They got drained for a year, and then it's been pretty much about a year where they've been flat. So I'm curious, anything that you make out of that and thoughts that you could draw in terms of silver and where we might be at, add on some big solar and EV numbers as well. That's where I was going to go was the, the solar demand, the EV demand. Um, and we've had, like you said, uh, two big deficit years. And obviously you, worldwide, they're pushing, you know, they're pushing this green plan and they have they've not thought it through as to where the supply of these these metals are going to come from uh, as far as you know what's left and or how much is left i you know i have no idea as far as uh what or or where the metal has come from but all i could say is if if you're burning 200 300 400 million ounces per year you're pretty soon at a billion you know, like in a, in a year, there's going to, within the, within 12 months or 18 months, we'll have burned through a billion uh, ounces of above ground supply. How much was there? You know, I don't know what the number is, uh, but I do know that the ratio where it stands right now, 90 to 1, is, it's insane. And, I mean, it, it allows anyone to just off the cuff say silver is the least expensive asset on the planet and it, it 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 does have a characteristic of money and it does have the characteristic that it cannot bankrupt it cannot default and the world is in an era right now of bankruptcies defaults insolvencies this you know i've said all along it's going to be a credit event and that credit event is is going to set everything off, including obviously the derivatives, which, you know, we can get into that when we talk about the great taking. Uh, but as as the uh, the credit gets set off, you're going to get that flow into gold and silver, on top of an already humongous uh, deficit over the last. Well, over the last at least two years, we've been in, in very steep deficit and they can't last. You can't you can't have deficit after deficit and 
price go lower and lower. That's not mathematically possible. Well, that's the answer I remember from economics as well. And we'll see ah, the silver price. Quite a conundrum to follow over these years, although. It's not a conundrum. Chris, it's not a conundrum. It is not a conundrum. Gold and silver have been suppressed with paper contracts not backed by physical gold. The, the credit markets, the stock markets, they've been levitated with with leveraged contracts. And when the credit event blows up and credit becomes impossible to obtain and credit, the, the credit that's already outstanding starts to go away, the prop underneath the stock markets, the prop underneath the real estate markets, those are going to go away. You're going to see asset prices collapse. And at the same time, you're going to have a run into gold and silver from a physical standpoint, but more importantly, the price mechanism or the, the suppression that's been allowed by the use of credit, that's going to go away. So it's like, uh, it, it goes back to like putting a beach ball underwater. Once the credit evaporates and you can't hold it underwater, it's going to shoot, you know, sky high while everything else is collapsing. So, I mean, there's there's your the beginning of your mother nature reset right there. Yeah. When, once credit and derivatives no longer allow the powers that be to price assets according to what they want to to provide cover for their narratives, which their narratives, oh, you gotta look at them, you know they're bullshit. I mean, you know, they they flat out say two plus two is five. And then they try to prove it to you with market activity. And that market activity is forced by derivatives backed by credit. Well, I hear you. And Bill, you mentioned in terms of suppression of gold and silver prices, let's say someone was new to gold and silver or someone had mixed thoughts and they've heard the belief that the prices are prices are lower because of all the paper that's out there. Are there any particular bullets that stand to mind that someone were going through that phase of exploring and forming their own opinion uh, that that would stand out to you that you might pass along? Well, in silver, I'd say, what's the, what is the cost of global production versus the current price? And if there's not much profit or if there is no profit there, then that just tells you, you know, go back to your Econ 101 textbook, supply and demand. If there's no enticement, if there's no profit to mine the metal, they're not going to mine the metal. And what does that do? No supply. So, I mean, that's the easiest one right there. All righty. And uh, last thing I did want to run by you before we wrap up, uh, you mentioned briefly the great taking before with David Webb. Quite a... Yep. a heavy video i'm i'm trying to limit my amount of like doom and gloom reading and content absorption because uh, it it does hearing a lot of that stuff uh this is a mental adjustment so I, I had to stop the great taking the first night about halfway through i'm like all right i'll we picked it up again the next night but i mean it's certainly some 
disconcerting things that he mentions in there also seems to be pretty intelligent, well-accomplished guy and curious your thoughts. Were there parts you agreed with, disagreed with, and anything you could share on that? Yeah, I, I really didn't disagree with anything. Uh, I actually read through the full text and I, I did watch his recent interview with Greg Hunter. Uh, that text that he wrote was so well footnoted. I mean, everything that he's talking about, there is no speculation whatsoever. It's not, I think this, or I think that. It's it's not that at all. It's all factual. All of these laws are already on the books and they've been on, they've been piling up on the books over the years. This has been planned for many, many years. He says 50 years. Um, and I imagine that's probably about right. Uh, going, going back to the, the U S going off the gold standard, but the laws are on the books where if you have a brokerage account and you've got XYZ stock, with with your broker, your XYZ stock is lent out. It's lent out in a pool of XYZ stock along with IBM and Apple and whatever. The the bottom line is the the stocks are are used as collateral for the credit system. It's used as collateral for the derivatives. And derivatives, they're they probably are over two quadrillion dollars total now. But understand that the laws are on the books that just as when you go into a bank now and give them money, you are no longer considered a depositor. You are considered by law a lender. When you deposit stock with your broker or a bond with your broker, you become a beneficial owner. And like he says, that sounds good, a beneficial owner. But that doesn't mean that you're the ultimate owner. The ultimate owner, if, if the broker goes under, the, the ultimate owner is the, the is DTC. And then if, if DTC goes under, I mean, you as an individual have no legal right. There's no court anywhere on the planet that you can sue because your broker went out of business and you lost your stuff. And that's what's going to happen it's going to happen collectively. And I've said all along, I believe when this goes, it'll be a 72 hour event. You know, people are, are for years, people are thinking, well, I'll be smart enough to get out in time. Well, you, the only, your only alternative is to have the stock issued in your name and you have a paper certificate. That is your proof of ownership. And I've got to say, uh, I've got to tout my my business partner who's now deceased, Jim Sinclair. That's probably the best thing he did for humanity was to create what or to coin the phrase "gots," get out of the system. He back in two thousand three, two thousand and four, started urging everyone: if you have stocks with your broker, that you have no plans on trading or or selling, get the certificate. Because if your broker goes under, back then he was thinking if your broker goes under, it'll take three to five years for you to get access to your funds. Now, with all the laws that are on the books, if your broker goes under, you're out of luck. You got nothing. And it, how do you think Klaus Schwab is able to say, you will own nothing? 
there you go. There's your, your roadmap. And it's legal. It's They have made it legal right under the noses of everyone. And nobody said boo. David Rogers Webb said boo, explained it, footnoted it, showed all the laws. They're on the books. It's fact. It's not, it's not perception. It's not opinion. It's fact. I hear you. It was uh, certainly disturbing and heavy. And Scary shit. Good, good to be aware of. You hope that we don't get to that point, although can see the storm coming. So good hey, advice. Chris, yeah. Chris, hope is for dopes. If, if people watching this take heed, they should contact their broker and tell them, I want my certificates. They're going to tell you, Oh, we can't do that. Well, yeah, they can. And when you push harder, they'll say, but it's $500 per certificate. And when you push further and you say, okay, fine, I want to electronically move my shares from your company to the transfer agent. There's no charge for that. Once it's at the transfer agent, they'll charge you like 20 bucks to get your certificate. And understand, you don't want to leave it at the transfer agent because it's still out of your hands and probably still went out. So get your certificates. Well, appreciate you sharing that. I was going to ask about getting stock certificates. It's something that I've thought quite a bit over these past couple of years. So good advice there. And I might mention for people who are unaware, you are a former stockbroker as well. So something that you've seen from the front hey, line. Chris, I've had all of my personal, all of my personal and corporate stock certificates, with the exception of maybe couple hundred thousand dollars worth of stock all of my 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 holdings all my core holdings i've had all of those certificates since 2005 and anything that i've purchased since then i immediately have shipped out i don't leave anything with a broker uh because i mean i i know what brokers do how think about this chris how is it possible that the business model of these companies that offer you trades for 795 Trade five million dollars and it'll cost you seven ninety five. How are they paying bonuses and driving around in limos and flying in, in private airplanes on seven dollar and ninety five cent commissions? They're not. They're lending your stock out in in mass, and they're 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 earning interest on your stock. And when the music stops, they don't even have your stock. Yep. Well, so, I mean, think that one through. How do these business models possibly work unless they're lending your stock out? Your stock out. It's no longer yours. Yeah, that was one of the things the documentary pointed out quite clearly. And I remember back in my option trading days where we had to locate a borrow, though it seems like that's not, not a thing anymore. Why why even borrow the shares? I haven't. I have not read the article. I just saw the headline just before we started recording. Uh, there's an article on Zero Hedge that says there is a uh, there's a problem with a two trillion dollar uh, shorts that they're not able to, to borrow the stock for. Not not surprising to hear at all. I, I don't know what the article says, uh, but I am anxious to read it because I mean that's the core of the problem. And I mean, if there's $2 trillion of stock sold short that they can't borrow the stock for, my guess would be it's probably in industries 
that the powers that be do not want to see go up. Yeah. That's the suppression. I'm guessing, but I'll read the article and, and we can touch base afterwards. Yeah. And Bill, uh, just in wrapping up for folks that maybe don't have a chance to talk with you directly or but would like to get your thoughts, can you let them know where they can find you? Fortunately, you're still active writing and sharing your views and, sure. and can let them know where to find that. Yeah, you can go to my website, uh, BillHolter.com. There is a uh, there is a, a contact page or contact uh, icon. Uh, if you want to contact me directly, uh, I, I have recently changed my email. It is uh, B H O L T E R at proton.me. All righty. Well, and again, I know obviously you're also active with Miles Franklin. So if people have particular gold right. and silver questions, that's the way to get in touch with you. So, Bill, appreciate right. you work. making some time to talk about all these matters today and keeping an eye on it for as long as you have and watching this unravel in slow motion. Should should be an interesting year, but I guess we just continue to plan as best as we can and be aware of the things that are coming. And certainly you've helped to open a lot of people's eyes about that. So appreciate that. Appreciate you. And we will have to catch up and do this again soon, sir. Thank you, Chris. Keep fighting a good fight. Well, thank you to Bill for today's call. Always fun to catch up with him and hear what he is seeing. Obviously, a lot of these things have been building for a long time, although as we progress deeper into this sequence of events, seems like we're seeing some more of the things that Bill has talked about for years starting to play out and certainly should be a pivotal year. I guess there's always that chance things get pushed on and drag out longer than we expect, but does seem like a lot of those events are coming due in 2024 so thank you again to bill and thank you to everyone watching hope you found that helpful and real quick before we wrap up we'd like to thank silver viper who brought us today's show silver viper run by steve cope who you see on the show every month and has been advancing their law virginia project where their initial resource estimate had 49 million ounces of silver equivalent and Silver Viper is finishing up a financing that will have them set to get back out there and begin drilling again as they look to increase the size of that resource estimate. So you can find out more about Silver Viper at silverviperminerals.com and certainly a company to keep an eye on and find out more about in the midst of the fascinating dynamics that we have in the silver market where we're seeing a deficit, seeing a lack of investment into a lot of the silver exploration companies and sector in general. So find out more at silverviperminerals.com. Hope you're having a great day out there and we'll see you again tomorrow.